0: Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. Today, we're discussing how to become a data-driven program. This is part two of a three-part series, and today's episode will be covering how to use BLAST bat sensors in a team setting. BLAST bat sensors, or any form of bat sensors, are probably the most cost-effective tool when trying to build a program that uses data to influence outcomes. At around $120, they're affordable enough that you can have multiple being used at a time or even an entire team set, which a few teams do. We are seeing them used more and more in the minor leagues during games, and you already know that I believe that in-game data is king. So here is our plan for collecting Blast data and how we use it. Concentrate on what will produce results rather than on the results. The process rather than the prize. Bill Walsh. Our inventory for Blast includes three Blast sensors and three iPads. Blast offers a plan for each individual to have an online profile for every swing they take with each sensor for about $10 a player. And having over 50 players in our program, this was way too expensive for us. So the next step would be to do some of this process by hand. I spoke in my last article about the importance of simplifying and understanding what you're looking for, and using Blast was a big reason why I came to that realization. There are 10 metrics, so trying to track all of these, especially by hand, can be extremely daunting. We bought the sensors last February, and trying to learn and understand each of these took a large chunk of time. Understand that going in, if you don't have a system for collection or have an idea of what you're looking for, your head will be spinning. But here's a few ideas and tips to get you through it. Test-retest model. This fall, we are performing a pretest starting the first week of practice, and once a month, we will do a retest. I'd love to be able to test every two weeks, but only having three sensors and 52 players, we will have to settle for once a month. We want to see their data off of stressful velocity or the machine. We don't use blast sensors on a tee at all. And I could be wrong, but for me, it doesn't matter. So every time they swung a bat with blast, it would be against a ball thrown overhand. There were a few things that were interesting with this process. I love to see how their swing pattern was challenged and changed when they went from BP to the machine. And we had some that dropped almost 10 miles an hour of bat speed. Or we would have a positive attack angle and as soon as they saw 88, went back to negative. So there is definitely some value in that model as well. Although seeing the velocity they're going to see in games will give us the most realistic look, another option would be mixed BP. So now you know what they will be tested on. So here's how we set it up. Instead of paying for the profile, we titled the session as the player's name, and that player would only use their bat during this time with the sensor. I spoke in a previous article about how we use weighted bats, but for the sake of getting a larger sample size, we would have them skip overload and underload training for test day. After you do this once, the players should easily be able to connect the next time and take this out of your hands. There are also a few things to remember when setting it up this way. And full disclosure, this is the best way we found to do it, so if you have a better way, I'd love to hear suggestions. I'll be fairly obvious and say it is best when you have the sensor connected to the iPad with their name in before practice starts. This can be time consuming, but you don't wanna take this time away from practice. With our model of testing, each player is responsible for their own iPad and they take it with them through rotations. One thing to problem solve is to make sure that their name is in before the end of the session or you will have a hard time tracking who swings or whose. Make sure you have metrics that you are looking for and load them into the dashboard so that the player can see them and screenshot the metrics if you don't plan on putting them into a spreadsheet right away. I went into collection mode this spring, then we left for spring break, came back and they were gone. You can also pull the CSV file from the Blast website. So it's one thing to collect all of this data, but here's how we are communicating it. For the initial test, I just want them to swing. I want it to be the closest to their game swing as possible so we can get an accurate read on what they need to work on and where to start. After they get done with the training session, we go over the metrics we wanna start with. We then help the player to fully understand each metric and the meaning and why behind it. It's integral to simplify this as much as possible for the player because each metric affects the others. For players, it can be extremely confusing and that's the last thing we want. From there, we develop a plan of attack for what we deem as their biggest area of improvement And we retest in a month to see if our plan is working. Included in the article, I've shown an easy way that we track progress and shout out to Chase Glom for creating and sharing his Excel spreadsheet. Another model for this would be one-on-one with a coach and every swing or every few swings you track progress. This would be really effective with a small group if you are wanting them to feel through some changes at a slower pace, or if you have one metric they're trying to work on and feel and see the difference between swings. Let me give you an example. Johnny has a negative attack angle of minus five. We know that all of the blast metrics are co-active and each affects the others, but we have decided that this is his biggest area of need and improvement. This is obviously after our initial test and we have gone over this with him and what this means. He now understands that his barrel is working at a downward angle at contact. So with this model, we would have him take a swing, see what the number is, and then try and feel and improve it. Once he gets close, we have him repeat it as close as he can. This model can be somewhat slow, but for initial learning, it can be a great way to help them feel the movements we're trying to get them into. After they fully understand the metric, then you can take the same model to the team setting because now they can coach themselves. I'm a firm believer that if you can feel it, you can fix it. And this is why understanding the player's feel and language is so important in the player development process. It's also important to video as much as we can because then we can use it with blast to help the player to understand the movement even better. They can explain what they feel, we can watch the video, and see how it matches up with that metric. So we've talked a lot about metrics, but what's important to us? I've broken it down into two tiers, with the first tier and the first metric being bat speed. Obviously bat speed isn't something that can change overnight, but it is something that we want to track over time. And keeping a simple spreadsheet of average bat speed is a way to notice trends. Are we ticking up? Are we ticking down? And this can also be extremely beneficial in season to monitor workload. Another benefit would be to see how well their bat speed holds up during stressful velocity. We want them to stay at least within 8% of their normal front toss bat speed. So if their average on front toss is 65, they should easily be at around 60. Again, we would obviously love them to be as close as possible to their peak with adjustability, but this can definitely give coaches a range to look at. Metric two in tier one would be attack angle. Attack angle is the angle of the bat's path at impact relative to horizontal. A positive value indicates swinging up and a negative indicates swinging down, where zero is perfectly level. We want this range for our hitters to be between zero and 15. A lot of this can depend on pitch location, so giving a range to stay between is a great idea. I would love it if we were able to implement a strike zone with it and being able to track pitch type and location with each swing and keep the average metrics based on location in the strike zone would be phenomenal. But at this point, there's not a way to do it within the app. So those are our tier one metrics. Here's our tier two metrics. The following are what we're looking for if tier one metrics are within normal ranges. It's not that these aren't important, but with each metric affecting the other metrics, having a tier system to look at has helped us simplify the data for ourselves and the players. For instance, If our attack angle is negative, it's going to affect our on-plane percentage. So the hope is that if we work on the root cause, it will help us clean up the ladder. Time to contact. Time from the start of your swing to contact. Normal range for us would be between .14 and .18. And this is great for guys that we consider to have long swings, as it can give us an objective look and provide immediate feedback to the player. But there are a few things we need to pay attention to the player can try and cheat the drill and start chopping down at the ball to create a shorter bat path. This is obviously frowned upon if we want them to be in the zone for a long period of time. They can also get a lower time if they get beat with the pitch and make contact right before the catcher's mitt. And it may be a smaller number, but in no way is this what we want. We also need to let them try a lighter bat as this can help be the quickest fix, especially for teenagers who have no idea what size bat to get. I've included a video of one of our younger players and one thing that he and we decided to work on this fall was being quicker to contact. His bat speed was in the mid 60s and his attack angle on the day of riding this was six degrees. When he started his hands, they got disconnected from his rotation, causing him to be late. And the swing that I showed in the video was with a softball bat, which is a cheap underload bat with the ability to teach barrel accuracy that we use. Another part of the problem is that he reaches out with his front foot, which causes him to reach back which causes him to reach back with his hands to stay balanced. So what are we doing to work on this? One of my favorite constraints is the connection ball. The goal with this is to keep the ball between the forearm and bicep tight, and it shouldn't fall out behind you. We want to do this with our top hand, and this will help give the player a clearer picture of what it's like to stay connected during their swing. With this particular player, he said that multiple times during the training that he could feel the difference, and again, if he can feel it, he can fix it. The second metric we're gonna discuss today is on-plane percentage. And per blast, there's a high correlation between a hitter's setup posture and the on-plane percentage metric. A good functional swing will have an average on-plane starting at 60% or higher, with a typical range being 55% to 65% or higher. This is another one that I wish we had a strike zone in the app for. Our score is going to have some variability based on pitch location and timing, So having a zone and percentage within that zone would be very helpful. Since we don't, we give them a range to stay within. And we want our players to stay on plane as long as possible. And I think this is one of the few things that the hitting community can most agree on. A drill that we like to use is the top hand stay through drill. And I've included that in the article linked below. So with all of that information and only three metrics covered, where do we start? Well, here's the best advice I can give you. BLAST provides an opportunity to give objective feedback on what the bat and body are doing throughout the swing. Remember that each metric affects the other, so pick one to focus on at a time. BLAST can provide a ton of information for players, but at the same time, it can be overwhelming if you, and especially the player, don't know what they are looking at. Have a great week, thanks for listening. Coaches, your players aren't afraid to work hard. They just can't afford to get it wrong. And that is why you should attend the 2019 Skill Acquisition Summit, hosted by Randy Sullivan's Florida Baseball Ranch and the Strength of Skills from the Netherlands. This annual event will take place on October 12th and the 13th in Lakeland, Florida. This event will have a premier panel of presenters, including Franz Bosch from the Netherlands and Rob Gray from Arizona State University. The most forward-thinking coaches in the business will funnel the information down to the bare bones of on-the-field application of leading-edge skill acquisition and motor learning science. You will leave equipped to help your players optimize the return on their training time. For more information, call 1-866-STRIKE-3 or go to floridabaseballranch.com backslash summit. Presenters include Franz Bosch, Rob Gray, Martin Nyhoff, Bart Honogrof, David Mann, Paul Venner, Ron Woolforth, and Coach Randy Sullivan, who will serve as host and moderator for this exciting event. I will be in attendance and I hope to see you there.